0: Hi, welcome to the East Brainerd Weekly Podcast. This is Sean White, one of the youth ministers at East Brainerd. As many of you may know, we did not have our weekly gathering this Sunday as we followed the CDC recommendations to not gather in large groups. We hope that you took advantage of our online gathering through Facebook or YouTube this past Sunday and spent some time worshiping with family or maybe even a very small group of friends. Chris shared another message in our Room to Breathe series, talking about worry and anxiety in such trying times as we're having right now. So if you missed it, or if you wanna hear it again, you've come to the right place. So here's Chris Barnett with week two of Room to Breathe.
1: Good morning, church family, or afternoon or evening, depending on when you're watching this. I have to be honest with you. This right here is the preacher's greatest fear. It has nothing to do with coronavirus or chicken pox or flu or whatever else that people might be afraid of getting. The biggest fear is being in an auditorium and nobody being here. I mean, this place is empty, and it feels very strange. And it probably feels strange to you being at home right now, and maybe you're with your family. Perhaps you are by yourself, but we are in uncharted territory when it comes to what we're dealing with right now. We appreciate the fact that you are watching online. We wish that we could be together, and we're confident that in the coming weeks we'll be able to come back together as a church family and enjoy uh, our, our normal worship time and our Bible classes and all the other things that we do in community with one another that encourage us, that uplift us, that challenge us, and that help us be Jesus people each and every week. But in the meantime, we're hanging out here and we're grateful for the benefits of social media and we're thankful for all the ways that we can get together online and it'll be different today. But we're glad that you're here and and being a part of this because we are, we're living in anxious times right now. Coast to coast, there are large public gatherings just like ours that are being canceled, that are being postponed, and hey, a lot of you are upset that March Madness isn't going to be taking place, and spring training has been canceled. I know that at my house we've had to deal with baseball season being canceled, and plays that have been postponed. A lot of things are upsetting our life. Just today, We are at home. We're not being able to to be together. We understand what it means to have this anxiety. Schools are closing. The stock market goes up and down and up and down. National emergencies are being declared and National Guard units are being deployed. I mean, it's like something out of a movie and it creates all kinds of anxiety. So we're on constant alert and we're watching our phones, waiting to see what the next message is going to be. David Clark is a clinical psychologist, and he's the author of The Runaway Mind, and he says that public fear can be heightened because of something that's called looming vulnerability. And he explains, when a danger or threat is gradually approaching, it tends to be more frightening to us than, let's say, if a danger were to appear all of a sudden. You see, it's the world of what-ifs. It's what if the virus comes to Chattanooga, and it has. Well, what if the stock market continues to tumble? And, well, it probably will. Well, what if I get sick? Or or what if I'm not able to, to work? We see that there is this approaching danger, and we just don't know exactly how to handle it. And so we live in anxious times. But we also live in the kingdom of God. So last week, we focused our attention on Paul's words to kingdom people. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 Stephen has already read it for us this morning. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, Paul wrote this phrase in the present active tense, which implies an ongoing state. It's the life of continual worry that Paul is addressing. God does not want you. It is not his will for you to live a life of perpetual anxiety, where you're just constantly worrying, where you're constantly being afraid. It's not his will that you face every day with with dread and just the unknown. Instead, he says rejoice. He wants you to be able to breathe again. And he has something better in mind. So Paul continues, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, last week we said that the Bible is the most highlighted book in the Kindle app. And Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7 is actually the most highlighted passage. It's not Psalm 23, it's not John three sixteen. It's this passage right here that talks about living anxious free lives and having the peace of God. People want peace. And so lucky for us, Paul tells us where to find it. And it's kind of strange that Paul is the one that points us to peace. It's strange that Paul's pen would be the one that points us in the direction of less anxiety. Because if anyone had reason to be anxious, I mean, really, it was the Apostle Paul. Let your imagination, just for a minute, transport you back a few thousand years. All of a sudden, your living room, your, your kitchen, your bedroom that you're in right now is, is a Roman prison. And there beside you is a man who is around 60 years old. For the last half of his life, he has been a follower of a rabbi named Jesus. And he's traveled all across the Mediterranean in order to share this rabbi's message. And it's a message that hasn't always been well received. He received, Paul did, 39 lashes on five different occasions. Three different times he was beaten with rods. There are scars that cover his body. He's been left for dead. He's been imprisoned multiple times. He's been deserted by friends and co-workers. He's endured shipwrecks and storms and starvation. By this time in his life, he's probably half blind. He's squinting just to read. And now he's sitting beside you awaiting trial before a Roman emperor. And besides the personal struggles that he's been through, the churches, the churches, excuse me, that he's been mentoring, they're bickering and false teachers are coming in to the vacuum that's been created by his imprisonment and and they're taking advantage of the situation. And yet when you read his letters to the followers of Christ, especially this one that he writes to those followers living in Philippi, it doesn't contain a word of fear or complaint. He never shakes his fist at God. He, he, He never raises his voice to heaven. Instead, he lifts his soul in praise to God and he calls on his readers to do the same. Philippians 4 verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, I will say again, rejoice. And he uses a word tense that would cause his readers to hear him say that they were to be continually and habitually rejoicing. And if that word tense wasn't enough, he he removes the expiration date and he says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. And if that wasn't enough, He repeated the command for those who are having trouble adjusting to daylight savings time. He says, I'm going to say it again. I want you to rejoice. Rejoice when you can't get out and and go to work or school or the grocery store like you used to because of all of this virus fear. Rejoice when things aren't going well at home. Rejoice when things are difficult at work. Hey, rejoice when you're having success. Rejoice when your health is good. He says, in all things, he says, I want you to rejoice. And so you start to ask yourself, how is it though that Paul expects us to remain joyful during times of, of difficulty and, and disease? I mean we understand when we're making the ball team when the grades are good we we understand that when our lives are rolling like we like them to, everything's in its own little box. We understand being able to rejoice then, but but does Paul really expect me as a a listener, as a reader to To continually habitually rejoice even in the midst of even in the midst of some anxious times well here's his challenge see Paul doesn't want you to rejoice in your circumstances he wants you to rejoice in the Lord the verse is a call it's not a feeling but it's a decision and a deeply rooted confidence that God exists that God is in control and that God is good You see, Paul takes aim at our belief system, that system that, well, it helps us understand and answer fundamental questions about life. The idea is, anyone really in control of things that are going on? We ask, does life have purpose? Do I have value? Is life all that there is? Our belief system always is going to determine our behavior and how we react to all of these questions and all the other questions that we have as well. And it's why Paul, when he would write his letters, would always address conviction before he talked about actions. You see, to change change the way a person responds to life, Paul understood that you first have to change what a person believes about life. And for Paul, all of his responses were anchored in his belief of God's sovereignty. Paul said, everything that happens, I know that God is in control, that nothing happens beyond his sight that nothing surprises him, nothing catches him off guard. And that idea that God has perfect control and management of the universe is what motivated Paul to rejoice and to encourage us to rejoice as well. You see, when dealing with anxiety, a proper understanding of sovereignty is is huge. Anxiety is often the consequence of perceived chaos. You see, as the number of confirmed illnesses caused by the coronavirus grow, so does our collective uncertainty. Psychologists and public health experts say that public anxiety is high and it's largely fueled by a feeling of powerlessness. If we sense that we are victims of unseen random forces, well we become very troubled, we become very unnerved. Psychologists verified this fact when they sought to study the impact of combat on soldiers during World War II. And they determined that after 60 days of continuous combat, that ground troops became emotionally dead. Now you can understand that kind of reaction. Soldiers endured a constant threat of of mortars and machine guns and snipers. You would expect them to become anxious. Yet fighter pilots, whose mortality rate was among the highest in combat, Well, those guys showed remarkably less anxiety. In fact, 93% of them claimed to be happy in their assignments, even though they knew that on average, only half of them would survive their mission. So what made the difference? Well, those pilots had their hands on the throttle. They were sitting in the cockpit and they felt they perceived that they were the ones who were in control of their lives. They believed that they determined their own fate. Infantrymen, by contrast, well, they could just as easily be killed standing still or running into battle and they felt very helpless. And so the formula was simple. Perceived control creates calm, but lack of control, well, it gives birth to fear. David Roe an expert in risk communication, was quoted this week in an excellent article in USA Today saying, when we don't understand something, it leaves us feeling like we don't know everything that we need to know to protect ourselves. And that equates to powerlessness and vulnerability. So what do we do? Well, we try to control everything. And that's why we've had the run on toilet paper. That's why everybody's going to the store and, and grabbing up all the toilet paper that they can, that they can get because they think that it makes them in control. It gives this feeling that, hey, we're doing something. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm buying toilet paper. Well, what's that going to do when it comes to a virus? Well, nothing really, but it helps us feel better. And so because of that, we've all run out and, and we've grabbed that extra pack or two or, or three or, or four all in the name of trying to calm our anxiety. Ropit goes on to say that the less worried we are because we bought toilet paper, silly as that seems, the more that we have reduced our fear. You see, when we face anxiety, we we face it head on oftentimes by taking control. But here's the rub. The most stressed out people are control freaks because they fail at being able to, to actually grab hold of the quest that they pursue. The more they try to control the world, the more they realize that they cannot. And then life just becomes a cycle of anxiety where you try to control your family and that doesn't work. You, you try to control the circumstances at work and you find out you're a failure at that. You try to control your own health. You try to control your own desires and feelings. And it just seems like there's more and more anxiety because the more you try to control, the less successful that you are. Well, the Bible has a better idea rather than seeking to take total control, the Bible says, why don't you relinquish it? Why don't you let it go? And that's Paul's message behind his admonition to rejoice in the Lord. He says, peace is going to be within reach, but it's not because that you're in control and it's not because you lack problems, but peace is within reach because of the sovereignty of God. Instead of ruminating on this world's chaos, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. So let me share just a few verses with you that that speak to this very fact. The first comes from Psalms 139 and verse 16, where the writer says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had even passed. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 29. Not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. And again, back to the Psalms. This time, chapter 10 and verse 14. You see the trouble and grief that the wicked cause. You take note of it. You punish them, speaking of the Lord. And the helpless put their trust and you. You see, the sovereignty of God gives the Christian the inside track to peace. When others see the problems of this world, they begin wringing their hands and make her run on toilet paper. But for the child of God, we see the problems that are going on and we bend our knees and we go into prayer and we pour it all out to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding comes to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's what the prophet Jeremiah did. Listen to his words in Lamentations chapter 3. Peace has been stripped away. I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is, is bitter beyond words. And I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Jeremiah was a prophet to Judah during one of her darkest periods of rebellion. Maybe you've heard him referred to as the weeping prophet, because as he wrote, tears just flowed from his pen. He wept at the condition of his people and the depravity of the the country that he so loved, the city that he loved. In his anxiousness, he wrote a book that's called Lamentations. And his heartache poured out from his pen. In the midst of that painful reality, he purposefully lifted his mind and thoughts towards God. So after he wrote what we just heard, he he then intentionally wrote these words. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Everything that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks has been trying to point us to the fact that our anxiety decreases as our trust and our belief increases. Before you read another article this week about the coronavirus, how about you read another passage in God's Word? Again from Jeremiah chapter 17. Beginning in verse 7. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a river bank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Friends, I'm not telling you to ignore the reality that's around you. Things are different right now. And we don't know what is going to happen in the next couple of weeks. We don't know how things are, are going to change, if everything's going to go back to what we think is normal, or if we're going to start learning how to deal with, with new normals. But don't get lost in your troubles. Instead, well, lift up your eyes. Focus on Jesus. Gain strength from the Spirit. Trust in the Father. Dare to believe that good things will happen. Because if the events of this last week have troubled your heart, why not rejoice in the sovereignty of God? Expose your worries to worship. You see, the mind cannot at the same time be full of God and full of fear. And so our prayer for you this week is that God will fill you to overflowing, that you will know His presence, and that fear and anxiety and worry will be far from your life. One more passage for you to think about. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. He will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in him, whose thought turn often to the Lord. Think about God this week. Rejoice in his sovereignty and relax. God's got this. We look forward to seeing you all soon. Have a great week.
0: Thanks for listening today. And if you need more updates on things at East Brainerd, be sure to check us out online at eastbrainerdchurch.org or for daily updates at our Instagram or Facebook pages. Please stay safe this week. Have a great week. Grace and peace to you.